Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek and Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And this is Kelly. And uh, we're going to be watching uh, Voyager Season 4, uh, Message in a Bottle, tonight. Uh, this is a fun one. Um, yeah, we, we were talking before we started recording. I think uh, this, w- this was definitely the last time I found Andy Dick genuinely funny. And searching my memory might be the first time. So, so good for Andy Dick in, in this one. Um, I remember, re- I remember I-, I enjoyed this one when it was on. It was like a f- fun change of pace. I liked the peak at the the part of the federation we didn't get to see in next gen or ds9 that was uh still running concurrently um i think it's also the first time we see the um uh first contact uniforms uh in voyager yeah which i never i mean i understand why you don't want to have to go to the expense of refitting everyone for new uniforms um for no particular reason but i always wondered why they didn't switch to the um to the updated uniforms it just like i would have liked some explanation any explanation um i don't know that there's an in-world explanation but i think the you know the real world explanation is that they simply wanted the series to look different enough from each other yeah it's, i can see that yeah i mean it's why they gave ds9 different uniforms in the first place yeah so and you know i think thematically maybe voyager using these uniforms it just fits better uh, you know, they're, they're a bit brighter. It's, it's a bit more sunny in outlook. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad they didn't switch. You know, I think the, the gray uniforms are fine for DS9. It fits the military direction that that went in. But, you know, uh, over these four seasons, you know, I've started to really bond with the characters. And, and I don't need them to start looking different, really. Yeah. All right, well... Uh, um... I remember you know, being very excited by this episode when it was on TV. Um, I think for one thing, there's just finally a sense of narrative forward movement in the series, you know, which to be fair, you know, has been happening for all of season four with the the introduction of seven of nine and various uh, sort of conflicts with the Borg and stuff. Um, You know, things just seem more consequential now than they did in the first three seasons which had its highlights and had its lowlights, but, you know, it's like, oh, wow, something's really happening. I can see that, yeah. It, like, of all of the, uh, like, I'm glad this was, um, a, a, like, the, the, the best they could hope for and what they got was alerting the Federation they were still, in fact, alive, which is a hopeful forward thing, but it's, I'm glad this wasn't some hip check into a Gilligan's Island, could they get home, and oops, no, they won't, because of course not, so. Well, you know, I mean, we can just talk about it when we start the episode, but, you know, they, they set parameters in the story very nicely that it isn't like a, a Lucy in a football situation with the viewer. It's like, we know they're not getting home, so the question is, what interesting things can they do and can they accomplish in this episode? So, yeah, why don't we uh, get it going here? Okay. Uh, I'm queued up on, on my Netflix yeah, and people should queue up whatever media they've got. I don't know if uh, Blu-ray is ever going to happen. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I've been reading sort of negative stuff from this industry insider who said that the uh, TNG Blu-rays didn't sell well enough, which is astonishing to me because I bought them. <laughs> and uh, isn't that enough? 
and uh, you know that th there's just there's not a lot of willingness from CBS Paramount to you know sort of invest in DS9 and Voyager uh, for the the sort of diminished return that might be promised from it. Uh, so anyway, that's a digression. Queue up your media, whatever it might be. Maybe in the future it'll be something even better. Um, and we will press play in three, two, one, press play. Okay, it's a fairly standard opening shot of the ship. Okay, is this the first time we see uh, Bolana in her I'm pregnant lab coat? Uh, I think that was in Hunters, Okay. prior episode. But of course, you're right, it's because they're trying to cloak her real-world pregnancy. To, you know, And then, of course, several seasons later, they gave her a fake pregnancy. Which, uh, well... If anyone has ever seen me pregnant, <laughs> you would not have been able to hide it with a lab coat. Yeah, a coat would not have you know, worked. They're shooting her from above, too. Not like they're, they're cutting her off at the chest. The lab coat, or it, the engineering coat, I guess, has an interesting texture to the colored portion. You know, it's like, it's kind of like uh, Dr. Crusher's cardigan. Yeah, well, I imagine it's made out of the same material, just in a in, you know different color. Um, yeah, you can really see just the way it's draping over her over her bust that she is clearly pregnant. There's something going on beneath frame here. Yeah, and um, what do we think of the little tools in the in the what vest po like the lapel pocket? Like, I like them. Yeah, I like the idea. Oh, but I mean, you know, they can't make them like super heavy. Because... Yeah, yeah. All right, so they've been summoned to Astrometrics, which of course is a wonderful set. Um, it is. It is a gorgeous set. Well, and, you know, they've got just, like, random Hubble imagery or something, but whatever. It works. It's fun to look at. You know, and this screen is very dramatic and interesting. I mean, they're kind of cribbing from generations here, which is fine by me. Yeah, it makes sense that that, that would be, like, an iteration. Um, okay, so we so, get our reveal that she's, she's found a Federation starship. Yeah. You know, this episode, it really... Um, you know, sets the narrative for the next few seasons in motion. Uh, in a lot of ways, it sets up the whole idea of uh, communicating. Well, I mean, so the prior episode, Hunters had them communicating across this alien network uh, and introduced the Herogen. But, you know, now we're using the alien network to, you know, sort of sense things at a distance. Um, so this episode, uh, I like the Herogen story thread. I think the Herogen are interesting enough as as an antagonist, and I think they go to some interesting places with it. But you know, it's this uh, you know this this communication ability that really I don't know it it makes us feel like there's definitely progress being made, and that it's not going to be sort of uh, by fiat, you know, just sort of. Uh, because the plot dictates it, now suddenly they have this thing, they develop it, you know, piece by piece, and I think it really works. Yeah, I was less enamored with the Herogen, I think at the time, I'm, I'm curious, uh, I'm gonna hold off on forming a new opinion, because at the time I kind of felt they were, like, warmed over Klingons, but I'll see what my, I'll see what the rewatch does to my opinion. Um, I, but I agree, I, I, 
they build it in enough tiny pieces that it doesn't feel like they're dramatically altering the the narrative basis of the show, and it's like just enough of a dangle to to keep things interesting. Um, I also like that they don't really follow up too much. Uh, there's I think there's a little banter more between Seven and Bolana in this episode, but it's certainly not a plot point. Um, so I like that kind of character building that um, it does. They they can do this to pay it off later. Which which this is, is good. fabulous graphic. Yeah, yeah, they've really up their uh, up their game. But to be to be fair though, you know, like the, the distance between these stations, you know, has to be, you know, like a thousand light years at a pop. Yeah. Right. Uh, to cover that much of the galaxy, which hey, I guess you know. Anyway, the graphic is really cool, and that, it's really neat how they depict it as a sphere, and they show the you know the ship's path through the sphere of the range. Um, yeah, the, the three-dimensional mapping of space has never been Star Trek's strong suit, so I, I did enjoy that as well. Well, the animation where, where it pans yeah. really shows us that they're they're imagining it in three-dimensional space. You know, and there's there's nice tension here. You know, it's like they've got a time limit that makes sense, you know? Yeah. It's like the ship is out of range. She's, she was using one of her little tooly bobbers there. It's, it's a thing. And so this is Lisa Klink, uh, who has uh, done some other decent stories. Let's look her up. Uh, did she do Coda? Or she had some random one that was like a little weird. And I'm trying to remember what was her first one. Because I remember reading an interview where she's like, yeah, they threw me in the deep end. Uh, she's got... A warlord. That was it. Yeah, that one wasn't bad. Blood fever, which was a decent Tom Blanastor. Uh Favorite son, which the less we say about it, the better. Uh, Displaced, which was pretty forgettable. Um, Revulsion, which yeah, we didn't really like. We that didn't either. like that one either. Scientific method. Um, Good idea. Uh, wish like we 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 had some. Uh, problems with the execution yeah it's a bit of a rehash but message in a bottle very good uh retrospect what was that one? Oh, that's the seven of nine recovered memory one hmm yeah and omega direct yeah it's a fun one certainly interesting yeah So, you know, they're also cashing in on the sort of doctor development, which hasn't been used a whole lot for the last season, which is his mobile emitter. Uh, yeah. Although they're not really using the mobile emitter. They're just using the mobile emitter to get him to astrometrics. And then they're sending his program through the computer, which, of course, raises a host of potentially interesting questions. What does it mean to send his program? Like, yeah, is it a copy? Is it like I didn't understand? Like, they said something that like the hologram, or, like the holographic data would r- arrive more intact. Like, what does it mean to arrive partially intact as a hologram? And why would holographic data be different than any other kind of data? Isn't it all just I, yeah, I, ultimately I ones and zeros? Denser or something? Like, there's it's just a stronger signal or something. Um, 
and so we'll we'll do better than an audio signal. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think not the most elegant mechanism yeah I, I think actual programmers would tell you the reverse is true like a like a string of yeah, text would make a, a yeah it's a really cool graphic yeah and they did a good job superimposing it yeah um, you know whatever it means the dematerialization of the doctor was interesting uh i mean i guess we're supposed to take it that his program is so complicated or something that uh it can't be copied you know <laughs> It, it's like it's like a thing it's like energy or something so hey wow this is a really neat set isn't it yeah is this a reuse of anything it sure doesn't look like it like is it anything from is it like a did they do like a whitewash of a of an insert like the enterprise e or something you know i i could imagine this as a reuse of some elements of maybe some deep space nine sets yeah those armatures look kind of cardassian it's a bit reminiscent of the harvester episode oh yeah yeah but you know whatever it if it is a reuse it's you know so it's a really good one yeah um it's a, it, they did a good job of making it look starfleet but not just a reuse of the you know enterprise set or anything like it looks of a piece but not directly something we've well, seen there before some, there were some really interesting sconces on the wall there's just a real architectural feel to it in, in a way that TNG consistently failed to make other starships look like they're as interesting and varied as our hero starships. Yeah. This succeeds, you know, much better. Some nice makeup on them. Yeah, it's, are... it's pretty grim. You know, I, I just, I have questions like, it is, is the Prometheus computer powering the doctor now how many of these data streams could you send to one ship could it power two five ten <laughs> you know what's the limit right and so if we we're to take it that he has a, a certain modicum of consciousness you know or sentience or something is that something that survives the transition to a different computer it's just yeah i guess we're supposed to take it as a it's all about the data or something. All right, I'll say I, I like the design of the Prometheus. It again, it, it looks of a piece like with the Defiant, and um, you know, like it, it's good. Or like the Enterprise E is much. This, this is kind of like a cross between you know Defiant and Enterprise D. You know, it's got that sort of pleasing, curvy, soft color palette. Uh, you know, it, it's not as uh, grim and dark and harsh in terms of color hmm. as the defiant and it's brighter yeah I, I think the bridge must be at least parts of the enterprise e bridge because that looks those though like those um architectural elements look like if, if memory serves what the bridge of the e looks like just with the with a white paint job they did put the chair the captain's chair a little bit you know sort of removed so the exterior design is also really cool um, it's neat to see a four in a cell uh, design. And uh, uh, the, assault mode. Yeah, the um, the Romulan captain is played by the guy who played uh, the sadly uncredited Joachim in uh, the real Star Trek Two. Um, well, and he also played. Uh, oh yeah, one of the 
these symbiosis guys the yeah yeah one of the the brennans or no the Brekkians and Ornarans. There we go. On his uh, so, you know, we got the blue alert, which fits with, you know, sort of huge structural things like landing the ship or whatever. I really, I like the lights that they've got on the bridge for the alert system. And this is pretty good CGI. Yeah, I, it is good CGI. And I, I understand the thinking that a ship that could break into three pieces would somehow have a tactical advantage or something. But I really question, in reality... Wouldn't the three pieces be less powerful separately than they would be together? And wouldn't having your ship... Like, the more complicated your ship, the more things can go wrong. Like, that just seems like whatever momentary advantage you'd get from being able to, like, surround them, you would lose from the fact that you have an extra thousand break po- failure points in your ship. But that's a... Well, that's a yeah, failure. I mean, just on the saucer there, they've got an extra nacelle on top. And- yeah, the little baby nacelle, yeah. Well, and, you know, my question is the, the complicated nature of connecting these pieces to each other. It's like, are there, are, are there, do they minimize the number of turbo lifts or Jeffrey's tubes that can right, or like, know, reverse these sections? Since all three sections appear to be fully autonomous, wouldn't it, well, why not just send three ships? Yeah. Like, I, you know, look, it's, it's a callback to the Enterprise D, of course. Right. You know, which uh, that was a Roddenberry thing. You know, he he wanted something spectacular, and of course that was driven by the story concern of you know having families on the ship. Right. Uh, this apparently is a, it's a it's a tactical experiment. You know, this is a test bed for new technology. Okay, I love Robert Picardo's acting. The way he like put his fist up to his mouth and looked behind him, and then walked in <laughs> pretending he was just activated. That that was just exquisitely achieved. Like that. Look, we haven't talked a lot about the doctor because he hasn't done a lot yet, but he's really good in this episode. Like his, his comedy chops are really on. The Romulan uniforms are pretty good. Have, have these already debuted in DS9? I want to say the Tal Shiar might've been wearing them in something, maybe in, um, dies cast and an improbable cause. But this is a much improved Romulan look. Well, the, the the shoulder pads are still very businesslike. I mean, that lady clearly will not take any of your shit. Um, well, toned them down. But it's yeah, it's it's not quite linebacker. <laughs> they don't look like they're wearing like dentist office upholstery anymore. Well, they were wearing couch cushions. Yeah. You know, like someone just cut armholes <clears throat> in your couch cushion. Unrestricted access. I'm glad they got Major Barrett to do the computer. Work. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's Andy Dick. Um, some very good facial acting by both actors. Yeah, they really play off each other well because they're both snooty in their own way. That 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 plays well somehow. Like it's an interesting the way Andy Dick delivers the lines. You know, with his sort of yes, you know, his sneering. It's really interesting, the inferior program. <laughs> well, it's it's really playing like especially without his glasses, he kind of has like the, like like if this were an '80s movie about jocks and nerds, he would be like the rich preppy kid who looked down on everyone. He kind of has that bone structure, just like like oh yeah, you're from a moneyed family, um, and it kind of pl- like yeah, there there's an he plays it well. It just um, 
so was he was this one of those like he was a fan and lobbied to get a guest spot or, or someone knew him and like do you know what the what the backstory of him getting on the show was i'm not sure about that i'll look it up very i'm very good physical comedy Yeah, it's very funny. And they really play well, yeah. I like that they stuck to... Somehow, it it amuses me that they stick to the joke uh, that becomes the running joke that he, you know, involuntarily says, please state the nature of the medical emergency, that they stick to it so consistently, and it remains funny. Well, you know, and they're giving it a new gloss here, of course, with a a new character saying it. I, I did like that line, um, sort of hinting at the Dominion arc without letting it bog down the story. Uh, who? Uh, Andy Dick with Amada, not a commando. That's classic. Yeah. Um, Andy Dick was friends with Brandon Braga and let him know in conversation that he'd be interested in appearing on the show. And so they wrote wrote the role for him. He was not. He was a fan, but not what you would call a regular viewer of any of the shows. Hmm. Uh, I guess that's Hollywood speak for he didn't hate Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. I really like this notion of, you know, having experimental ships with experimental systems. Yeah, I have nothing to add here. It's just, I mean, they're 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 doing a very good job of playing off each other, and um, it makes for less scintillating commentary if we just keep repeating that. <laughs> Here's some nice callbacks to previous episodes. So. Macrovirus traveling through time. You know, and so the doctor is sort of bragging about his, uh, you know, autonomous emitter. I was saving Voyager <laughs> from annihilation when you were leaving your program as well. This joke fell a little flat for me. Like, I can't believe that in four years, medical science has advanced so much that, that he... the doctor who is a computer program can't even recognize the basic form of something. Right. It, it would be like, bring me the super duper scalpel. I still know what a scalpel looks like. I should be able to... I mean, hell, if it were a thousand-year-old alien device covered in runes, he'd know how to use it instantaneously. Like, the, the, the joke just... Like, I get what they're trying to do to give the Mark II some leg up, but it, it just didn't work. But it does allow Andy Dick to deliver the line about scalpels and leeches really well. Yeah. Which is, of course, kind of a oblique callback to stone knives and bearskins. Uh, there's Milana safely tucked away behind her pregnancy hiding console. Yeah. It's like, here's my new console. <laughs> Get used to that chair. You're going to be there a while. <laughs> well, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, you know, Jordy who was not pregnant, got his own chair on the bridge. So That's true. This is a really neat camera angle, by the way. I like that from oh. above. Oh, yeah, the overhead of the bridge, yeah. 
This is this is a nice character moment for for Janeway. Dear Mark, Chicote built me a bathtub. <laughs> we may or may not have done it. Please don't break up with me. Well, sorry, Captain, but uh, next episode you're going to get your dear John letter. <laughs> your dear Janeway letter. Oh, is the, is the joke coming that I think's coming? Oh, yeah. This this was the other joke they didn't quite land for me. The uh, chilies. Cute functional dyspepsia. I still really do not understand why your pilot is your next best <laughs> choice for a backup. Right, it, it does seem like like wouldn't the Maquis have a medic? Like uh, it's possible they were killed in the in getting dragged to the Delta Quadrant too. But it does seem like another officer with a less urgent job could take on the role. I mean, you would it have was to like fourth string in the engineering quad or something. Right, right. Like, like Vork doesn't like, need sleep. Let him do it. Delivering the name, by the way, Rodeo Red Hat. You know it. It really works. Um, I like his sort of motivation, too, that he wants to learn earth dishes because he feels like he won't be useful. Tom's hair is doing... It's, yeah, it's <laughs> well, doing things it didn't used to do. Well, they're, 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 they're covering for Robert Duncan McNeil's increasing uh, male pattern baldness by, like, you watch season one and then you jump to season seven and it's like, whoo, you didn't notice it gradually over seven years, but when you make that six-year leap, it's there. <laughs> well, they're, they're eventually going to do almost a Caesar. Caesar, game, yeah. So works better. I will say for for not a diehard, he he has a good handle of the the um, lingo. Like he he seems like he's in the universe, not not just acting in it. Yeah. Oh, for someone who is a mild fan of the series, he... I mean, I guess Andy Dick has a reputation for being you know sort of a dickwad, you know, and not treating people nicely or you know I don't know what, but I I never failed to buy him in this role and I found him very enjoyable yeah yeah so there's hollow emitters on every deck he's not condemned to a that seems like a lot of energy for I mean I guess you do technically in an emergency want to make sure your doctor can go everywhere but still like, does that mean they can just run a holodeck adventure across the entire ship? Do the Hiroja know about this yet? <laughs> Not just hollow meters on every deck, but hollow meters apparently in the Jeffrey's tubes. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good yeah. catch. Yeah, never thought about that. Maybe in the past four years they've made. Uh, how's that possible? I made an addition to my program. <laughs> I question, uh, my only question for this, for the Mark II is, he seems to be, like, aware that, like, like he's he seems to take pleasure in the fact that he's not confined to sick bay. He desires the, this these additional subroutines. And I'm like, uh, we, we're getting back to this problem of, at what point have we made a simulacrum so accurate that it's now unethical to confine it to servitude? Like, we, like it, it just, like... Well, you know, look, they don't address it directly 
uh, you know, maybe in the author author episode. Oh, I have I have a problem with that episode, which I'm going to save for that episode. But go on. <laughs> well, but at least they start to kind of get to it. Um, look, I think we just need to take it that the artificial intelligence programming is getting to the point where it's not just leaving it on for long enough. It's the you know, it's something structural. Yeah. All right. The physical was a, a you know gifted programmer and created something that could very easily become conscious and you know that that these future iterations are also you know becoming so that door i think is a reuse from from rascals yeah wow that door's been around for a long time i think yeah and um i i enjoyed andy dick's physical comedy of failing to get into the jeffrey's tube that was sure. that was well done well so you know the holograms can go in the Jeffrey tubes, Jeffrey's tubes, but have not been taught how to crawl. I guess he's only been there for six weeks. So, yeah, I think this is the Enterprise E bridge. They've built some platforms. I mean, that's, those are very tall. Yeah. And I, you know, the the front console. You know, it's almost like a like a Romulan ship. Yeah. It's always interesting to look at chairs in Star Trek. Yeah. Does that extra not get speech? Yeah, that extra just you know they don't want to pay her to speak. So. <laughs> when he shakes the tricord, it's just it's a he, he is a gifted comedian. Like one of my complaints will eventually be the series becomes the Doctor and Seven show, and it's not that I don't like those characters. It's just that when it becomes their go to when when it becomes like Data, where they, we'll do, we'll just do another Data story. It do, it does start to wear a little thin, but that you can see why they would go there. He is he can he can make anything sing. So this is sort of the subplot of the episode. Oh yeah, is this when they? Oh god. Um, it's laughable. Like I get Tom's desire. I can't believe Harry would go along that far. He can't actually believe that he could jury rig with like, like given the way that they just talk about his programming generally, even short of inadvertently achieving sentience. It seems like something you couldn't just whip up casually. No, but you know, Harry's an engineer and. He thrives on these kinds of problems. Yeah. He and Tom write hollow deck routine thingies, whatever it is you do with holodecks. And... Well, Tom just said you're an expert in hollow technology. Maybe. I, we have to call out that he said, I'm a pilot, not a doctor, which the, the comic pacing and, you know, the, the times that they deliver, you know, sort of the laugh lines, but then also the sort of the buildup of the farce, you know, of trying to create a rep- placement doctor it all really works yeah this is this is a really well constructed blend of comedy and drama yeah maybe they should just ask the computer to make a uh of medical an emergency medical hologram capable of defeating data well you know in, in the future you know terrific episode uh living witness you know, they yeah. talk about the, uh, you know, backup doctor, which, you know, I guess we're to take it that this was the genesis of that idea, that they need a backup just in case. Of course, it raises lots of strange questions, you know, 
is this backup doctor also sentient? Are you uh, turning him off the way you do Sherlock? Or not Sherlock, uh, Moriarty? And, and that's, you know, who knows? I have to I, say, uh, Roxanne Dawson is really nailing these lines. The, 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 like, the look on her face when she's trying to find the words and then says, you're rude. Uh, I also enjoy that it's this character lecturing another on social graces. It ha- like It doesn't read as like blindly hypocritical. It reads as like, even I find you too much. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I think it works. So I, I was mistaken earlier. Uh, Hunters is actually after this episode. Yeah. So this is the introduction. of. The yeah. I was going to say, I was thinking about that. Yeah. And so, you know, this episode it does a lot and yet none of it is you know sort of boring or plotting or you know it's very light you know the the touch of the plotting is very light you know and they don't show their faces yet and you know we just get this grainy image And the introduction of the Trojan does add some complication to the plot of whether the Doctor can come home, too. So, you know, overall, it's just, it really works. This must be a reuse of just some Voyager crew quarters. Yeah. Yeah, the actor here is doing a great job. Yeah, I almost wish he weren't wearing a forehead prosthesis, because it's kind of like he's only acting from below the eyes. <laughs> Judson Scott. He has he has a really good face, you know. I mean, I guess that's why people go to Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um. You know, really interesting face. A holographic subroutine. Is this a subroutine? Or it's not just a routine? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like they try to embellish the tech speak. (laughs) His exasperated look is great. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that he's going for the truth here. Yeah. Do you think it's because he's calculating that they'll dismiss it? I don't think, I think he's kind of, I I think the exasperation was real. Like at some point, yeah, he knows they're not going to believe it. So. This actress is actually quite good. Yeah. Valerie Wildman. <laughs> yeah, the comedy is good. Dick delivers this story as uh, smug comrade. And so it's clear that, you know, he's got emotions or something right yeah a functional you know 
uh, replica of emotions that's the same difference. <laughs> the end. Personal logs. Like the doctor keeps a personal log, right? Isn't that odd? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it odd that a computer program keeps a computer you know, program? Couldn't you just like oh. think it and make a text file or something? Yeah. I mean, his recollection of it would be a log. Like, <laughs> does he sit 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 in front of one of those you know laptops and dictate it? He, I imagine he does because he feels like it's just part of being a sentient being. Or something. You know, I've always wanted to try like for a week to keep a Star Trek style personal log. Like, like I mean, the phone would would serve as a perfectly acceptable video device. I just wonder, like, would people ever actually talk about their day that way to a video camera for later retrieval? Well, there must be perfect uh, speech recognition so that anything is searchable. And, you know, they showed that, to their credit, uh, in season two. Oh, yeah, yeah. So cross-reference Iconian and Romulan, yeah. Yeah, Contagion. Um, you know, so they were thinking about this stuff. Uh, at least on some level. I also question that they wouldn't have at least a rudimentary understanding of Starship operations, especially the Mark II, if he's supposed to be able to go to any part of the ship. Since the Romulans can somehow... Figure it out. Well, well also... um. Wouldn't it make sense that, uh, like, right now, I mean, I can understand the doctor, our doctor not getting access, but by any definition, this EMH is the ranking Starfleet officer on the ship now. It seems like he would have some ability to, like, you know, access communications, emergency stop, like, basics, like, to do what it is he's trying to do, which is prevent the ship from coming to harm. Yeah. It was kind of, it, it was like in a Jem'Hadar. It really doesn't make sense that a civil like... You have civilians on the ship. You have to accept the possibility that the civilians would be the only ones left. Some some kind of at least touch this button to immediately return to the station at high warp would seem to make sense, you know? Well, at the very least, the Mark II should have access to the computer and should be able to just learn the systems yeah, yeah. quickly. They make um, a big deal about how it can learn. Anyway, there was some good comedy there, you know, sort of like following the beep. You know, to try to try to fix the problems. Yeah. Whether the problems are believable or not. The way Kate Mulgrew gesticulates is very uh, very Kate Mulgrew, you know. <laughs> it seems like there are very few people like her. Yeah, I have to say, this is a lovely bechtel desk passing scene. These, like, like three women, all competent, in authority positions, doing their job. Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's interesting that you can send a shock across, you know, 40,000 light years. Or I guess not 40,000. He must be closer to them, but... Yeah. <laughs> the side eye she keeps giving J uh, Seven was pretty good. Yeah, uh, she's her. She's extremely expressive, 
and you know, I like the sort of rapprochement that you know Balana yeah. reach here. So it's like, oh yeah, I would have done that. That's pretty badass. And of course, we get some great uh, physical acting by the medical hologram replacement program. You know, he can't talk. This is actually quite a good delivery by Garrett Wang. The comedy is working, even if it's sort of a stupid premise. The actors are selling it. Leonard McCoy is comparative alien physiology. <laughs> Knocking on his head. It's... I mean, Picardo's doing a great job standing there. Yeah. I wonder, I would love to see the outtakes from a scene like this. I mean, the outtakes from this whole episode must be really good. Star Trek doesn't really do a ton of outtakes. Like, I mean, I understand they cracked each other up all the time, but, like, I can't recall until, like, some of the Blu-ray is an actual uh, blooper reel. Yeah. You know, going here, you know, to Paris and Kim, it really does, you know, sort of continue the bromance. Yeah, they haven't done a lot of that this season, have they? Well, it's refreshing. It's a good... Uh... I wonder if these are the actual first words in the, on the first page of Grey's Anatomy. The animal song. It makes sense. Well, you got to figure the internet was just about to be around, but it was probably not as comprehensively searchable, so... Well, this was 1998. Uh, January 1998. I was spending a good deal of time on the internet that January. Uh, uh, the first chapter is, in fact, uh, the animal cell. Hmm. I don't think... I mean, we'd have to go back and check, but I don't think it's quite... Uh, I don't think he was quite reciting it. It looks like I have been looking at that master systems uh master situation diagram in the back and it looks it looks like they kind of painted over the back end of voyagers like they fleshed yeah. out the secondary hall and then put the outlines of the um and the cells over it. Yeah. It works. <laughs> I think the Romulans alive. Yeah, well, they don't care about the Romulans. Well, no, they're all anesthetized. Well, right, but they need life support. It's always been kind of a tricky issue, what the hell life support means. Right, like, like theoretically, just in a room for a while, like a space that size for a dozen it people. It last for weeks. Yeah. Carbon dioxide builds up to a poisonous level. Yeah. I mean, Apollo 13's life support failed, and they were able to last for three days in, you know, something the size of a Volkswagen. Yeah. I love the voice. 
<laughs> is, he, is he speaking Romulan? You first, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is well done. Well, and the way that Andy Dick is playing off him, like, you know, yeah, yeah, say that. Are the shields really down to 20% after one hit? I mean, that, that must be crappy shields. Uh, I like the array of ships to a couple of define and then the Makira class. I like that. That was that was well done. Well, nice, nice CGI. You know, we got the Romulan warbirds too, which they're they're doing some really interesting work with the warbirds with some close-ups. What does it mean to scramble com frequencies? I guess it's like in Spaceballs when they jam it. <laughs> but it says where. <laughs> There's just buttons. Yeah, I think we're supposed to believe that Elcars is adaptable and you know the screens can... Shoot, there are so many controls. This is quite funny, actually. <laughs> Torpedo just aimlessly going through the battlefield and then hits the um, class ship. Can you just tell the computer to do this stuff? Well, they're going to. <laughs> like for a ship with that many security protocols it seemed awfully easy to accidentally trigger this but <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a it's a silly joke but i mean they cover it so i'm not mad i'm not i'm not that mad <laughs> well and i think it leads to one of the best jokes in the episode you know, when the computer asks for, you know, the target. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I guess the inertial dampers are... Uh... Romulans. It's quite good. I guess the other Starfleet ships had, you know, sort of warmed it up for them. <laughs> Are they going to kiss now? <laughs> so now they've got the phaser compression rifles from Voyager. Yeah, but we never really see them again. Yeah. It's just, it's bizarre. I guess they just had those in the prop room or something. And most people might not know this. 
It's obvious. I mean, they're very different looking. Teddy would notice. Teddy would notice. If you notice the Captain Kirk phaser. So now they're transferring them directly to sick bay. Whatever. What? And Janeway's gonna do something to help this one. Hey, she's a scientist. What are you say? It's interesting how they have the doctor sort of deliver all of this plot detail. You know, talking about uh, connecting with Starfleet. He spoke directly with headquarters. And the way Janeway reacts is, you know, of course, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Very good facial acting. She just does such a spectacular job of being sensitive but still being strong yeah and yeah overall i I like this idea because it doesn't feel like they're just cheating to get tng guest stars on though they will do that eventually i say i'll take as much barkley as i can get Uh, I'll save my Barkley issues for the Barkley episodes. Um, But uh, I I think it's I think they do a good job of setting up a a recurring idea that, you know, they use largely well to like it it, it complicates as often as it helps uh, the ongoing contact with Starfleet. And so I I think that's good. In the future episodes, I don't think they overdo it. Yeah, it's not like it's it's not like Voyager stopped being a separate entity overnight. I, I, I will certainly give it that. Um, the comedy in this episode was good. Um, I don't, do I have a, if, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a good comedic episode. It's not, it's not, you know, Tolstoy or anything, but it's deep, really good. Excuse I, me. I think this episode really functions very well, both as comedy and as, a, you know, sort of sci-fi drama. I think it advances the narrative in really interesting ways. I think it's exciting. Um, I think it sort of, if you've been a long viewing watcher of the show, uh, you know, it's going to make you excited about, oh, now what are, where, where are they going to go with this, right? And to boot, they introduce the Herogen, which, you know, is something, whether you like them or not. Uh, and I think, the com- the, I think the comedy in this episode stands up to some of the best comedies. You know, like Tribbles, you know? Yeah. Like, there are laugh-out-loud lines, which is, you can't always say for Star Trek comedy. <laughs> only, um, a few, only a few groaners. I, like, for some, I, I thought the joke of uh, Jalapenos, did, like, the Rodeo one, the, the Rodeo versus Rodeo, that, that one I bought. Jalapenos I didn't buy because why would the computer render it to Neelix in a way that would allow for the confusion between an English and a Spanish J? That one always nagged me. I guess he just read it, and it wasn't, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there weren't, like, audio directions or something. Also, I'm never a big fan of leaning that hard into the idea that Neelix 
is a terrible cook. Like, not just, like, not to the taste of a crew of a different species, but somehow actively not good at his job. It, it, it's like, yeah, I, I get... pretty decent. I mean, just just from repetition. Right. He, he, sh- he was a terrible cook in season one. He should be pretty decent now. Right. It's just, it, it, it's a cheap joke, and it just annoys the hell out of... Like, when he gets to be, like charming and silly and aware of people's emotional states he's at his best when they're just using him as a punchline it's it's not good um but to be fair i mean that's a pretty negligible oh no oh yeah yeah it, it, it doesn't derail the episode I, I didn't spend the rest of the episode sulking over the jalapenos joke i mean um they had some fabulous guest stars yeah you know, judson scott was very good and dick was superb i mean uh this literally might be the best thing he's ever done i it may well be it's true that i'm not familiar with everything in the andy dick oeuvre but um you know certainly it seems like his most likable uh funny he's obviously a good comic actor you know yeah and he can handle the trek dialogue too uh, it's it's a masterclass for Robert Picardo. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he, he tiny little choices all over the place that were just delightful. Like he he has a very expressive face and knows how to meter it out extremely well. Yeah, no no problems for me on that front. But then really we got a lot of nice smaller scenes with Seven and Bellana, with Tom and Harry. Uh, you know, Kate Mulgrew sort of does the dramatic heavy lifting you know she's the person who sort of gives us the emotional uh grounding to the story and she does you know yeoman's work there too um so yeah i you know personally as far as writing goes you know i think this is top 10 percent that it might it's not as like i don't know moving or something this is what we keep saying about every comic episode you know it's like well it's no yesterday's enterprise but um but at this point i i don't think it's a criticism to say that it's like you know this is as good as trouble with tribbles you know in terms Hmm. of comic writing yeah what i call this yeah i'm I mean, let's let's discuss the um, production value so I can rent, kind of sum up my idea here. Like the, the the CGI was really good. It it I mean it's a, it's a little bit its age. It's not as sharp as stuff now. Just you know, like in terms of resolution, but there was nothing that stuck out as like oh man. Yeah, like oof, god. Um, the I liked the and oh god, one day I'm gonna go a whole 24 hour period without ragging on J.J. Abrams. But did you notice how there were like nine moving pieces in that but you still had a sense of where everything was and what they were doing they did a great job with the virtual camera you know they they moved the camera through the battlefield in an interesting way they gave us some good close-ups so that we knew exactly I, I, I will say my only complaint from a staging standpoint and i get why they did it but did everything seem like super tight formation like like i think hitting each other would have been as big a risk the way they were, but that's a tiny. It, it was slightly on the busy end. I less than some of the Deep Space Nine battles. Yeah, where there's like fifty ships and they're all in frame. Uh, you know, this was like six or seven ships. But yeah, it was it was well, it was artfully done. Enjoyed it. I like the set of the Prometheus. Um, it's fabulous. I mean, I could 
they could do a whole new show on, on the Prometheus, and I would be interested in that, you know, just based on how cool the set was. I'd want a few, I'd want a few accent colors, I'll be honest. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, it, it's made for one episode, so it's not as lived in, and it's not as sort of uh, iterated and, and improved as a long-standing set is going to be, but um, the, the basic design. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, uh, so so what it comes down for me is this like a is this a four or a five? It's at least a four. I, I think it's clear this isn't a this is a very much above average episode. I'm gonna say it's five. Uh, you know, if our definition is top ten percent, um, you know, I I think this. How you know, just take Voyager. You know, how many Voyager episodes are you gonna say? You know, are way better than this. You know, we've got Year of Hell, which we enjoyed quite a bit. You know, there's going to be some really superb episodes, you know, coming up that, that hit on some interesting you know, sci-fi idea content. Uh, this is easily the funniest Voyager episode. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also does a lot of plot work that's exciting and interesting. Um, you know, so it's certainly in the top 10% of Voyager and maybe the top 5%. Uh, does it stand up against, you know, some of our fives in the other series? Hmm. I th- I think it does. No, no, I, I I I I'm I'm rolling it around like what feels right to me. Um, it might be on the low end of that. You know, it's not like City on the Edge of Forever. Oh no, no, it's it's on a picket fence between a four and a five, and I just can't. Dis- no, I'll go with the five. I'll I'll go with the five. I I it's like. Like top eleven percent at worst. Like it's just one of the, like, yeah. No, I'll, I'll say yeah. I'll go. With, I'll I'll agree with the five. Um, I think in the same way that Trouble with Tribbles, you know, it's unmitigated fun. I will certainly agree with that. I'm never, I'm never bored. Um, from start to finish, it's peppy. It's exciting. It's interesting, and uh, you know, and it looks great. And there's fantastic acting in it. So at, yeah. at the end. They, you know, it, like it hits enough on you know all the things we look for uh, that even if the story has a few minor failings, you know, the the sum is just you know really really good. Yeah, uh, I'll, so, I'll I'll give you that. All right, so uh, that's a. It's a ten for message in a bottle, uh, Kelly, or the official score. Uh, Kelly, what's your your take? Do you think this is? She's getting ready for bed. Oh, okay. I I happen to know that she would give it a five. So all time. <laughs> I'll trust you. <laughs> um, well, we're married. Yeah, I think I think you can legally give a score for her, right? Like, uh, I don't want to tread on that, you know, sort of territory. Uh, <laughs> legally speaking, whether I can rate Star Trek episodes for. Uh, a spouse, but um, we'll let the Supreme Court decide that uh, if it ever comes up. I wonder how Elena Kagan would rule on that. Hmm. Um, you know, I think. So I, you know, I, I said this earlier, but you know, this episode. It's not that I was bored with Voyager. I wasn't at all, and you know, in fact, season four, you know, has had pretty good amount of you know exciting interesting stuff you know you had the beginning with you know scorpion you had some interesting seven origin work 
uh, you know, with like the Raven and stuff. Um, you know, then you had Year of Hell, which you know was an interesting, uh, you know, sort of test for our characters. Uh, you know, they've really been. There have been clunkers. There have been boring episodes. You know, that it, it hasn't been sort of an uh, unremitting string of successes, but the successes here hit much more solidly than previous successes and previous seasons of Voyager. You know, I, I feel like they're really getting into a groove. Um, and, and when they get it, a script and a teleplay and a, and a story idea that can really work, uh, the actors are sort of meshing really well and the writers know how to write for the actors at this point. Um, you know, I'm really enjoying Voyager as it's getting into this sort of season four uh, groove, personally. Um, you know, I know you're less of a Voyager liker than me, but uh, are, are you seeing it? No, yeah, th- this is definitely the, the best season so far. I, I agree with that. Um, it is firing on all cylinders. Mo- yeah, uh, yeah, I'll see. Yeah, the, the highs are consistently higher. Um, it doesn't seem to kick. It, like, I think what made three, four, and five of TNG so great is I, I, I think we could count on one hand the number of sub six scores we gave. Like it was re- like, um, and Deep Space Nine is certainly no, uh, has has no has little room to to brag in the consistency department, even in the seasons we do like. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying. Like, I really, enjoy, I remember when I. I always try to compare my impression at the time with my analysis now, and I definitely enjoyed Scorpion. I definitely l- really liked Year of Hell, and I and I did laugh out loud at this. And yeah, there's there there does feel a certain competency, like a you know like like the ability to hit the mark repeatedly at this point. Well, in some ways, both Deep Space Nine and Voyager are now sort of. Uh, delving deeper into continuing storylines um voyager somewhat less so but i mean there's a lot of stuff here that is you know going to be picked up on and developed in future episodes and you know i think that's really working for both series it's it it's more interesting to watch and i think where the two series fail in comparison to tng is just like the fatigue of the creative staff you know it's the episodes that fail tend to be uh, either alien of the week or sort of rehashes. Yeah, right. And that seems like an obvious function of just the time that these yeah, but, people have had. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't think you can do anything for for fifteen years straight and not run out of a little steam. Well, yeah, we're in year eleven here, uh, and you know, doing anything creative for eleven straight years. Uh, you know, and to, you know, it's not all the same writers, but it is a lot. And, and, and at that volume, I mean, it's it's not like it was eleven years on one series; it was eleven years on three series and four or five movies. You know, like it's a lot, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, twenty six uh, teleplays. It's like writing thirteen movies a year. <laughs> you know, uh, that's pretty freaking impressive that they hit as much as they did. You know. Um, and you know, yeah, these are these are forty-five minute teleplays, which you know, it's like you might be able to do a sitcom and have it hit that much. Uh, it's um, yeah. I mean, I, look, folks, we're not going to read. 
recapture the magic of TNG seasons three, four, five. It's it's not going to happen. You're just going to have to live with that. Uh, but what you will get when you sort of let that go is something that is you know pretty consistently darn entertaining, right? And you know you're going to have to forgive some clinkers here and there, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a 34-year-old a slugger, you know. They're going to ground into some double plays here, you know. They're, they're not hitting, you know, 325 anymore with, you know, 40 home runs a season. You're leaning real hard into a sports analogy to a group of people not traditionally associated with sports playing. <laughs> this is Star Trek, and there are a lot of baseball fans, right? <laughs> At least Michael Piller. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so All right, so, so yeah, I'll say... um. Yeah, okay, so that's a, the, the, this is a 10 for Message in a Bottle, and it's well-deserved, and it does harbin, it's a harbinger of, of you know, but it's a, it, it shows where the show is, I think. I, I, I'll say that. I think it, it, it does kind of have an ease to all the balls they're juggling that they do well for what the show is doing at this point. Yep, okay, well, yeah, I, I think it's well-deserved also. Uh, a 10 is a 10. Um, you know... We'll see how they follow up on it in our next few reviews. You know, we're going to get a lot of corrosion stuff. Uh, you know, we're going to get some continuations of this Starfleet contact idea. Uh, and, well, you know, I guess looming in our future is some, some Borg stuff, you know. And we shall see how that is taken care of. <laughs> uh, to what degree of excellence or lack thereof, uh, you know, they hit on that. But, um, you know, we're at least in very interesting times Yeah. as far as Voyager goes. Yeah, I'll agree. All right, well, I think that's, that's it for uh, this one. Um, we'll see you for the next uh, review for Hunters in hopefully a uh, few days a week. And uh, our next podcast, uh, what, what do we think? I don't know what we'll do. We'll have to figure it out. All right, yeah. have a good night, everyone. Live long and prosper.